0: Thank you, Roger. Good to be with you. Uh, Yes, I did found the North Face. I'm probably best known for that. I got an MBA and an undergraduate degree from Stanford. And then after that, I started the company uh, right away and and built it. I I ran it for
1: 20 years. I've now sold that. That company from Chile is like the the continuation of the North Face for you, Uh, is it? Oh,
0: it is. It is. One, it's within the sport and apparel business. And two, uh, it's based on uh, a concept of replacing existing materials with something that is uh, technically much better, environmentally much better. Right. And- so it's a replication of that same thing they're looking at being an ingredient brand whereas north face was actually an end brand direct to consumer brand um, the ingredient brand would be sold to other companies that actually would be developing that
1: you started the north face but you bought two two stores right that already existed um why did you decide to to buy those stores and not start from scratch um you know like you know better than me but um I would think that starting from scratch is easier because you get a lot more freedom um yeah what was your why was your decision like that
0: observation I mean the first thing to recognize is there wasn't much in the way restrictions there was a great name they had the name the North Face and there was only about three hundred thousand dollars in sales however Mm -hmm. What I knew from the outset was in terms of adoption of a new product which I had dreamed about in my mind, which was much more expensive than existed on the in the marketplace. I knew the product adoption for that was going to take a while. It was going to be uncertain. Yeah. And what we wanted, was two things one was we wanted some positive cash flow while we waited for people to find us and by having your own store and selling products not only our own but products from other people we had what we called safeway money we had enough money coming in we could mm-hmm. pay for the growth the second thing that i wanted and and it was disruptive at the time it was sort of an omni channel approach wanted to be in touch with the consumer. Uh, it's now called design thinking when you talk about deep customer empathy. But the idea of having your own stores, your own, and we had a catalog then that we developed and being in touch with Actual customers who are telling us what they want, we thought would be the best way to refine the product that we were making and and make it correct. And and so taking stores that existed had some cash flow already. They already had some customers coming in. And as I said, they had a great name, the North Face. And if it's a lot of investment required before you can ever get your your product to market, then you're probably unless you're Elon Musk or somebody, you probably don't have the capital to do it on your own. I prefer to develop it initially yourself before you go to other people. Why? Uh, Well, generally what you find is a business plan that's developed is not the plan that rolls out. Almost every company has to pivot from their original plan. If you're bringing in outside investors, you spend a lot of time convincing them that your plan is great. Hmm. Then it becomes much harder to pivot once you've seen what the real reaction in the market is that you need to pivot to. Now you've got to convince them. Whereas if it's you alone, or if it's family, sort of believes in you when you say, well, we thought we were going to do this, but the market's telling us to do a little something else. It's much easier to do that way. But as I said, only really works if what you're doing doesn't require a huge amount of capital on the front end. Uh, if it requires a huge amount of capital, then you may just have to change your pitch and go outside. But I will tell you that fundraising from sophisticated professional investors is very, very difficult. If you don't have a track record, which you can show them, if you don't have a uh, something that is sort of not a proof of concept, they like that but also proof of your ability and your team's ability to execute much easier to convince uh, angel investors uh that uh, look at things which are not fully developed
1: wow and and what was the first country you expanded to um and were there any any you know issues like when you go when you go abroad uh you meet you you have to adapt to different cultures and different different markets, right? Um, was it hard in that way, or, you know uh you, it, it, you spoke it, the same language, you know?
0: Well, it was difficult. Uh, what we did was sell uh, in Europe in particular through initially a catalog. We didn't have e-commerce at that time mm. and our catalog was out there. The first real physical move that we made to establish something happened to be in Japan which might not be the first market that anybody else would choose uh, because you have a language difficulty there. You certainly have a cultural uh, difference from the U.S., Hmm. but they appreciate very good product there. And we were making the best product in the world. And so they were really drawn to us. And so we went over there and talked with them and ended up getting a distributor as a partner, uh, so they set up the infrastructure, they knew the various differences in the way the things were marketed, there are a lot more layers of distribution that you set up, and we we're able to do that. So when we knew we wanted to go out there, we didn't take the risk of putting our own capital in to do that, hmm. then later, we moved to Europe, and we actually uh, set up a factory, we acquired an existing apparel factory, uh, Blacks of Greenwich, and hmm. so they had all the machinery and they had all the seamstresses and everybody there. and mm-hmm. we did that inside the EU okay and set up our team to do that. and we did it out of England actually it was out of Scotland mm-hmm. uh, but it was one it was uh, lower cost to get into the EU from there. The second mm-hmm. thing is English is what was spoken there so we could easily interact with many of the people that worked there, although right. if you Sometimes you may wonder if it's English, but uh, but it is, and uh, they and we we developed that way, and, and and there were there were issues, but probably less cultural issues than you would find in many other countries. They had a problem, and we helped them with their problem. That's usually the easiest way to work with anybody, mm-hmm. and working with way. What happened was, there'd been a lot of tooling up for the Vietnam War to produce parachute cloth and and aircraft and whatever. And and then as that effort wound down, they found they were sitting with a lot of excess material, and they're trying to find markets for the excess materials. So going into these people and saying, we can help you out. And none of the materials that were being used at that time cost as much as the ones we bought but they would have been infinitely larger if they'd only been developed for our industry because they were developed for this large governmental industry then uh then they were acceptable in price
1: you you guys didn't pay any royalties to, to the military no
0: we but we used their materials okay and they, there was no material that was exclusive to them at the time we did it uh generally the government, particularly if you're talking about the military, wants right. to work open source. They want to work with a couple of suppliers for something, in which case you usually don't have a, a, a restriction problem.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I guess that's a good idea also for you guys, because um, the R&D was already done by them. So it's way cheaper.
0: And the R&D and, and the volume production if you try to produce a, a woven fabric, you have to produce tens of thousands of yards to be able to get to any reasonable economic price. And and if you're a startup company making apparel, I mean, even in today's world, you don't use 10,000 yards at the outset. You develop usually a proof of concept, a development line, a capsule collection. They test a little of it. If it happens, then maybe next year you buy more. And then if you really worked it out correctly, then about the third year, you're Buying a lot, but mm. but if if you had to take the cost of just producing, let's say five hundred yards or a thousand yards of something, nobody could afford it. I mean, the, even in the most luxurious lines, people couldn't afford that type of of production.
1: That was your baby. That was something you built from scratch. When the time of selling the company came, um, what did it feel like?
0: Well, it, frankly, it felt okay. It felt like something. It was time for me to leave. The reality was that the company had evolved. We were growing so rapidly that I was doing outside uh, investment banking. Uh, It takes about six months to do a a fundraise. And we were doing fundraising at, at least every two years and maybe every year. So six months a year, I was being an investment banker. And that wasn't what I liked. It not what I was trying to do when I built the business. I had no, no concept of doing that. Had I had that concept, I would have gone into investment banking. But that wasn't what I was doing. The second part about that was we were bringing in so many people from the outside. I was constantly battling with people to try and explain what our brand was about why we held to what we were doing and so i was spending time fighting with people that i brought in that i needed financially to grow the company mm-hmm. and so i finally went through another one of those rounds of fundraising i'd raised 10 million that we were we needed to come in but one of my board members who had been very supportive of me for a long time uh, he came to me and said hap you said that you know when it wasn't fun anymore uh, you you weren't going to be around. And it looks like it's not fun anymore. You're you're doing less of what you want. You're fighting uh, more people, spending way whole, much time managing your investors. And you know, first of all, at that point, my ego was saying, no, 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 I really <laughs> want to continue this on. But then having listened to him and what he was saying and looking at, at the landscape that was out there, I said, you know, you're right. Hmm. You know, it is time for, for me to sell and somebody else to right. come in. There's there's a quote I might leave you with that that I hang on to, but it's what I tell all entrepreneurs, and it's a quote from Goethe, who is a German philosopher. He said, whatever you can do or believe you can, begin it, because boldness has genius and power and magic in it. It's really true. And what i would encourage any entrepreneur is just start something don't try to plan the perfect thing because it you aren't going to have the perfect thing anyway you're going to have to pivot but what really gets action is creating a a a prototype It is creating Mm. an idea it's throwing something out there once you do that you get reaction to it now you're off and running but you can sit around and talk forever right and never start your business
1: right